Bibles to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32, if you will. A very familiar psalm, a psalm of David. Theologians are conflicted on whether or not this psalm applies to the confession of David with Bathsheba like Psalm 51 does. It's very possible that it does not, and this should be taken as a general um, song, uh, teaching that which the psalmist uh, intends to uh, teach, but it's possible that it's the same scenario. So let's once again rise for the reading of this entire psalm. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they will not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. All you upright in heart. Let us pray. Our Father, you alone embody infinite wisdom. And in your wisdom and in your love and in your infinite attributes that are all majestic in glory. We pray for your your help this morning upon our lives. Impact us so that we might be more confident in the gospel as we trudge through our pilgrimage, as we face our trials, as we battle with our sin. And, O Lord, help us to impact a dark world that is lost without you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. You may be seated.
On Wednesday evenings at the Thornton's home, we've been going through a series on the Psalms by Robert Godfrey, and I want to tell you, it has been very helpful and encouraging in our Christian walk of faith. Well, I want to take a break from our Roman series to consider this morning Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 32 is one of seven penitential psalms, and it is written in a very reflective way. This is to show us David's stubborn impenitence following a sin or a series of sins, and the toll that his suppressed guilt took on him physically and emotionally until God graciously brought his beloved child back to the place of humble confession and the gladness of sure forgiveness. For some period of time, David refused to own up to his sin. But owning up to sin is what the Christian life is all about. You can't experience joy in your, your relationship with the one who graciously saved you without regular confession and the growing assurance that Jesus has provided you everything you need for eternal life in the gospel of his son. And yet, we are tempted every single day to hide and harbor our sin. And this psalm tells us, don't do that. As I mentioned, David is the author here. And as we, as we consider this psalm, I think it would be helpful for us to remember David's incredible strength and skill and victories. If David were here with us this morning, I believe that his presence would make a powerful impact on us. Handsome, yes, but much more importantly, he was a warrior. If I were to ask our children, what great victory did David win on the battlefield? Well, they would all say without hesitation, Pastor Kent, David killed Goliath. And they would be right, wouldn't they? David was lion killer, bear killer, and giant slayer. With just a rock and sling, he went out on the battlefield and slew the Philistine champion. He then took Goliath's sword because he had none. And he cut the giant's head off. And all Israel surrounded David with shouts of joy and deliverance. David was Israel's champion. But here's the thing we need to see. Israel's great champion was not sinless. And he was no match, no match against the giant of unconfessed sin. The giant of unconfessed sin had Israel's champion by the throat. And it was draining him not only of his spiritual joy, but physically he was going down and he was losing his strength. In other words... His refusal 
to confess his sin in humble repentance and instead to harbor it and to try to hide it had a psychosomatic effect upon him and it weakened him mentally, emotionally, and physically. Let me try to illustrate this. In the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, Hester Prine has the Scarlet Letter A sewn to her clothing. Well, she has to wear an A constantly wherever she goes as punishment to advertise the fact that she had committed adultery. Well, it was her pregnancy that showed her guilt. And in this story, she refused to expose the guilty man who is actually a respected minister in the community, but the reader knows who the guilty man is because he is failing in his health. His unconfessed sin and guilt weakened him mentally, emotionally, and physically. That's what happened to David. That's why it says in verse 3, When I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. What a picture. But I think it's more than just a picture. There was a rebellion in David's heart. And it was causing his body to break down and to excessively age. Now let me clarify I think this is obvious, but there are many causes of depression. David Murray has a wonderful little booklet called Christians Get Depressed Too, and I highly recommend it. And we are all all obviously getting older. You may not have noticed, but I don't have the head of hair that I used to have. I'll let elders Horstman and Thornton speak for themselves, as well as Pastor Paul, by the way. Of course, I'm not saying that all illness and depression and excessive aging is caused as a result of unconfessed sin and the suppression of guilt. That's obvious. But I am saying, well, not me, but the inspired psalmist is saying that unconfessed sin can have an emotional and physical effect upon us. Verse 4b, David says, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you ever been in the summer heat too long where you were just exhausted and hadn't had water? David says, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Israel's great champion had no strength, he had no joy because he was suppressing the guilt of his sin and it was drying up his strength like the heat of summer. When I was a boy, I had a pet lizard that I kept in a small glass fishbowl. And one day, I accidentally left Lizzie. Sorry, Liz. I left Lizzie in front of the window where the sun was bound to get to him. And then I left for school. Well, when I came home, Lizzie was as stiff as a board. The heat of the sun had dried up my little lizard. I was actually in denial. 
The only other time I can remember being in denial like that is when my guinea pig died. I put Lizzie on top of the counter and gave him an eight-year-old boy's idea of shock treatment. That means I flicked him with my finger. And he was stiff as a board, and I could hear him across that counter. You've all seen what happens to a worm that gets on a sidewalk and stays out in the sun too long. He dries up and dies because of unconfessed sin and the suppression of guilt. David was drying up. He was groaning all day long and wasting away. And let me tell you, that's not who we are in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what we have been saved for and cleansed for and forgiven for. No. Harboring sin and suppressing guilt isn't the way that God brought David to faith and and repentance in, in the Messiah, was it? That wasn't the way that he brought us into his grace. No. No, we weren't suppressing our our sin. We weren't weren't trying to hide our guilt. We were saying, here it is. I, I, I know what I deserve because of this. And you alone can save me. I love you. And I want you. I want to embrace you, Jesus. Thank you for being my Savior. No, we freely acknowledged our sin And then we rejoiced, didn't we, in the fact that Jesus Christ is sufficient to save us from that sin that we freely gave him. So what we have in this psalm is God's gracious process for handling our guilt and sin that leads to great joy in Jesus. That's why David begins his song like this, Blessed! Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Well, the blessed ones are God's happy ones who are enjoying God's full forgiveness. You're not happy if you're not enjoying the forgiveness of God in Jesus. Well, David starts his psalm out like that. Blessed is the one. And that's basically how he ends his psalm. It's with an exhortation. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Well, what is the process for handling our guilt biblically so that we too can rejoice. First, understand the nature of your sin. And second, know what to do with your sin. Understand the nature of your sin and and understand what to do with it, biblically. Third, embrace God's full forgiveness or embrace the gospel. And then the psalm ends with an exhortation. Well, I want you to look at verse 1 because there's three words for understanding the nature of our sin 
And actually, all three of these words are in verse 1 and in verse 5. The first word is transgression. If you want to know about your sin, my sin, you have to know about transgression. Transgression is rebellion against God. Yes, there are times when your pastor rebels against God and I purposely do or say or think what is sinful. Transgression is rebellion against God. The second word is sin. Sin is falling short of God's perfect standard of righteousness. God's word calls us and says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and yet we still fail. Well, praise God for what the Lord has done for us in bringing us into the OPC, blessing us with the Reformed faith and giving us elements of worship that are regulated by God's Word. Because I had never experienced this before myself. And so, our confession of faith that we go through each Lord's Day is so vitally important. Well, I won't quote the one we went through this morning, but here's, here's one. Your people have sinned against you, and all our trespasses that we have committed are against you. Transgressions that we have committed are against you. That's admitting that we have rebelled against the living God and that we have sinned in that rebellion with intent. Grant us compassion. For you separated us from the peoples of the earth to be your, in your heritage. Father, forgive us and cleanse us, we pray, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I, I always mention, and I really believe this, and I, I believe you do too, I think you receive it, that when we have the Lord's Supper together now, it's something sweet. It's, a, it's not only the church of the living God. It's the family of God that God has given to us right here. And here we are around the supper table. Well, well, it's just as sweet to sit around people who have been called out of the world and, and have become part of the living God's heritage and to actually confess together and to say, we have rebelled against you. Do you know why we do this every week? We, we, we go through this confession? It's kind of already implied, isn't it? It's every week because the world knows nothing of this. Absolutely nothing. You have been called out by the living God and through His Spirit, you have been born again. You have a new heart. And do you know what Christians with new hearts do? They struggle and battle daily with sin. And they fall and they falter. But do you know what else they do? 
They confess their sins. That's what Christians do. That's what godly Christians do. That's what mature Christians do. That's what makes them mature. That's one of the things that makes them mature. Another one of our bulletin confessions says, we confess all our shortcomings and offenses. That's sin, missing the mark, and transgression, rebellion against God. O oh Lord, have pity on us who are ashamed and sorry for all wherein we have displeased you. And forgive us our sins for the sake of your dear Son. That's joy. That's joy. That's not, oh, now I have to, you know, do penance and crank up my life over a period of time so that I'm doing better and then I can feel like I've appeased them. No, that's joy. And that's what the psalmist wants to lead us to here in Psalm 32. Transgression is our rebellion against God. Sin is our failure to meet the, the righteous standard that his law requires. We miss the mark daily. The third word is iniquity. Iniquity is when we shade the truth even ever so slightly. It's where we twist the truth somehow. We put a convenient spin on the truth. Well, those three words describe the nature of our sin before a holy God. It's rebellion, failure, and twisting of the truth. And if we provide sanctuary for that kind of guilt in our hearts, guess what's going to happen? We're going to reap its devastating effects upon our lives. Joy? What joy? At that point, God could come to ask us the same question he asked Cain. Why is your face fallen? You must understand the nature of your sin and what sin does to its victims. If you don't have a growing understanding of how bad and powerful sin really is, well, you won't be interested in the rest of this process that the psalmist give us, has given us to deal with our sin and guilt. And the second one is knowing what to do with your sin. If you understand what God's word says about your sin, you're going to want to know what to do with it. There, there were three words for understanding your sin, weren't, there, weren't they, there in verses 1 and 5? Well, there's also three words for knowing what to do with your sin in verse 5. David says, I acknowledged. Acknowledged is the first word to know what to do with your sin. I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord. I acknowledge the fact that I have missed the mark. See, he's acknowledging that he has missed the mark of God's holy perfection. The holiness movement is so frightening. Because it teaches that believers can live above sin. Do you know why that's so dangerous? Well, there are several reasons why it's so dangerous, but one of them is that it pulls the rug right out from underneath daily confession. 
daily confession is what Christians do. And the holiness movement takes that away. Acknowledged is the first word. The second word is, I did not cover my iniquity, David says. I did not cover my truth twisting. I, I put it right out there in the open. That's me. I did it. I did not cover the shading of truth. Second word I'm calling cover. I did not cover my iniquity. Acknowledged, cover. The third word is confessed. I confessed, he says in verse 5, my transgressions. I confessed my rebellion against you. I didn't love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have not loved my neighbor as I love myself. I have missed the mark and standard of your righteous law. Does your pastor confess his rebellion? Doesn't sanction it. He had better be confessing his rebellion and pray for him. Acknowledge your sin often. Come clean before God with what He already knows already. Don't try to cover your sin. It's sinless, senseless, and it's hurtful. As we noted in verses 3 through 5, how hurtful it is. There was a time when David tried to cover his sin, but there was one thing in 3 through 5, one very important thing that we have not covered yet. It's in verse 4, we skipped over it, and it's where David says about the Lord, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That's because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God disciplines and shepherds his beloved children of faith, and he always brings them back to a place of joy and brokenness before him. Last Wednesday, Pastor Godfrey taught us Psalm 94. And one of the gems in Psalm 94 in verse 12 is, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. Remember not too long ago that Pastor Paul preached a very good message titled, Pain with a Purpose. If you haven't heard it yet, you need to listen to it. The covenant God, who has fulfilled all of his promises in Jesus Christ to save his people, is not going to let them languish in carnality. That's a false way of thinking. It's not a biblical way of thinking. He will come, and he will discipline his children, and he will break us. He'll bring us where we need to be on our knees. Thanking God for the cross and the forgiveness of sin. Remember that glance that Jesus gave to Peter the night he was the, that Peter denied Christ and how Peter, Peter wept bitterly? That's pain with a purpose. It ultimately brought Peter to a place of gladness in God's forgiveness. Remember on a different occasion when Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan? 
That's pain with a purpose. And God's heavy hand of discipline was upon David day and night until, by God's grace, David freely and humbly confessed and acknowledged his sin and stopped trying to cover it all up. Acknowledge your sin. Are you acknowledging your sin to God? It's what it means to be a Christian. We don't begin suddenly to live above sin after, after faith in Jesus Christ. Are you acknowledging your sin? Are you confessing your sin? Or God forbid, are you trying to cover your sin up? Here's the process for handling sin and guilt. Understand your sin. Know what to do with it. Acknowledge, confess. Do not hide. And third, embrace God's full forgiveness. Now in verses 3, uh, 1 and 5, verses 1 and 5, there's three more words that show us what God does with our confessed sin. And boy, do we need to hear this. The first one is he forgives. He forgives. David said, he forgave the iniquity of my sin. That verb forgave means that God carried his sin away immediately. You know, you don't have to wait for God's forgiveness. Feelings, emotions can go wild. But God's word never goes wild. He forgave. He took my sin. I confessed it. I acknowledged it. And he carried it away. Just picture like a a helium balloon. Picture for all of us this morning going out on the front sidewalk and looking at just an army of helium balloons. He carried our sin away. Now that's joy. That's the first word forgave. That's what God does when we confess. He forgives. What's the second word? He covers. It's wrong for us to try to cover our sin, but it's not wrong for God to cover it. Not when we're uh, honest before Him and in us there's no deceit. Here I am. This is who you've made me to be in the gospel. I'm trusting in you, and I'm telling you that I still sin. I still transgress. I still miss the mark. I have iniquity in my life. You put me in certain situations and I twist the truth. And it's not right. He covers our sins. He says, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. And this is the biblical image for what God does with our sin when we humbly confess and repent. He covers our sins. What was the first act that God did after our first parents sinned? They weren't looking for God, were they? God came to them and He covered them. And He covered them with the sufficiency of all that they needed 
for their forgiveness because it pointed to Jesus Christ and the shed blood upon Calvary. So we need to fully embrace what the gospel provides for us. We need to do that in our continued relationship with God throughout life. He covers our sin. What joy. What rejoicing. The third word, he does not count it against us. He forgives, he covers, and the God who created all things, and in the air that we're breathing, he does not count our sin against us. Blessed is the man, David says, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. David wasn't all of a sudden living above sin. He was being a godly man of God. And he was being honest before God. He was living what we call the Christian life. He was confessing his sins to God and trusting in all that would be accomplished through the coming Messiah. David knew all about the doctrine of imputation. That's the the doctrine that says God does not count your sin against you when you trust solely in Jesus. It's an accounting term. And we on this side of the cross see clearly that our sin was imputed to God's champion, Jesus Christ. And Israel's champion benefited from that too, didn't he? My sin, oh the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Well, that's great rejoicing. Well, that's the process. You need to know your sin. You need to acknowledge your sin. And you need to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the psalm ends with an exhortation in verses 6 and 7. First, the verse 6 and 7 say, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they will not reach him. Well, this is, this is an exhortation to pray. This is an exhortation specifically to confess to God and to be open and honest in an ongoing way through your pilgrimage here on earth. And guess what? His promise is this, that great flood of judgment, the waves will not reach you. They will not overwhelm you. So I want to ask you a question. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the godly. Verse 6, he's talking to the godly. Remember our study through Romans 7? It's the godly who know how sinfully wretched they are and trust solely in the God of righteousness and salvation. It doesn't make any sense any other way. Verse 10, it's the godly ones who trust solely in Christ for their salvation. Verse 11, he's talking to the upright in heart. The upright in heart are the ones who are are honest about their sin. Doesn't condone sin. 
doesn't promote sin, God forbid. But they are honest about their sin. He says, that's you. That's who you are. And pray to me at a time when I can be found. Elder Thornton made a pamphlet that is one of the pamphlets on our literature table. We're actually all out of them. I think it's one of the favorites. And it's about the family or an individual at home worshiping on a regular basis. And in that pamphlet, he uses the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And it's a good acronym to follow in prayer. Adoration. He is God, not me. He is God alone. Confession. Thanksgiving. And then supplication. Don't burst through your days without confession. Don't suppress your guilt and sin. Experience the joy of forgiveness today and every day. Are you praying, confessing, and believing the gospel? Well, the first exhortation in verses 6 and 7 is an exhortation to pray, to confess. It's also, the exhortation at the end is also an exhortation to listen. Verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Let's go to the Lord purposely and stay near Him, even now. Let's don't be like a horse or a mule. Now, most of you know that for 10 years I shoot horses. It was hard, but it was really hard on certain mules. And somebody gave me this big cage, and I would give them a, 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 a relaxer in their jugular vein. And still, some of those animals were too much. They were so stubborn. And it was dangerous. It was flat dangerous. Unconfessed sin is dangerous. It's dangerous. Sin's not only dangerous. Unconfessed sin is dangerous. And our young people sometimes plunge into things without even thinking, thinking that they're bigger than what they are and God is smaller than what He is. And so they just say, well, I can do this and it won't hurt me. And you meet people all the time later in life. I met somebody in St. Louis on Friday. I was at a wedding who was just so burdened with their guilt from younger years. Let's don't be like horses and mules. Let's, let's take this exhortation to listen. And the Lord says, I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you counsel. I will keep my eye upon you as you live the godly, mature Christian life and are open about who you are before the Holy God. 
Well, there's one last exhortation in verses 10 and 11. Many of the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. You see who the upright are? The ones who trust in the Lord, not in themselves. I couldn't get to first base to earn God's acceptance. And the gospel of Jesus Christ does not suggest that that's what I have to do. I couldn't do it anyway. He is holy. His standard is holy. His law is holy. And the ones who trust him, love surrounds them. Love. Be glad in the Lord. This is an exhortation to rejoice. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Who are the upright? Not the sinless ones. The ones who are trusting solely in Jesus Christ for their salvation. He gets all the glory for all eternity as we trust solely in what He has done in His death, in His resurrection, and praise God, He is now at the right hand of God in victory. You know, I think Reformed Presbyterians are especially good at this rejoicing. I really do. I hear a lot of people, you know, when they're preaching, they say, well, we Presbyterians aren't very good at this. Not our church. We conduct our worship service in an orderly way for a certain reason. Because God's word clearly teaches that, you know, uh, that, that if, if, if we don't do things as a body, then somebody's going to stick out like a sore thumb. So we don't have somebody dancing up over here and somebody else over here uh, standing up, waving the, their arms. And, and they always say, well, David danced for the Lord. Yeah, he did. It wasn't in worship. It was a parade. <laughs> and the church historically has always come rejoicing. Every single Lord's Day, you come rejoicing because Jesus Christ is risen. And when I see you outside of worship, I can see in your eyes that you're glad that we have met because we're both trusting in Jesus Christ. And we are glad. And on occasion, uh, if you dance to the Lord, praise God. If you want to shout and hoot all you want at home uh, or, or even on the streets, praise God. It's Reformed Presbyterians who love God's Word, love their confession with all their might, and who believe these things that are so true about their salvation that are rejoicing in the heart. No, you're good at it. You're the best in the world at it because God has so blessed you. Well, follow these exhortations. It's an exhortation to pray. It's an exhortation to listen and not be like the, the stubborn mule. And it's an exhortation to rejoice. Take these words and rejoice. Let us pray. Our Father, you are our cause for living, 
for listening and for rejoicing. Continue to help us to understand how bad our sin really is so that we more and more would be confessing people. And Lord, don't let the devil slip his foot in there and say, well, I don't feel forgiven. Help us to trust in the gospel and embrace it, that we are immediately forgiven relationally. We're forgiven eternally because of the cross, but relationally because of the cross, we're immediately brought into right relationship with our Creator. And we, I pray that we would grow in this way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.